Whistle Pig and the Bear is a collection of conversations between two best friends of 30 years as they talk about friendship, spirituality, and all of the stuff that happens in between. We hope you enjoy. Hey, good morning or good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Uh, welcome to another, I guess we're calling it uh, episode or chapter there we, of uh, Whistlepig and the Bear. And uh, my name's Matt Hewitt. I'm joined by my uh, intrepid adventurer and dearest friend, Steve Geiger. Steve, how are you doing this morning? I am recovering. With this nasty cough. Yes. But, um, yeah. but I'm doing well. I'm glad I'm upright. It's better than the alternative. It is. It is. Um, well, I'm excited about uh, our conversation today. Um, I think our point of emphasis uh, is going to be on you and your journey and where you've been and where you're at now and, and those kind of pieces. And, uh, Anyway, uh, we've had a couple of episodes so far where we've shared a little bit of our backstory, how we met. Um, and then last week we talked a little bit about uh, uh, kind of where I've been in my life and uh, why we're doing this, which is just inviting people into our friendship and uh, what it's like to go through life together, be in different places on some thoughts and beliefs and things. And yet uh, to not use that as a barrier to relationship, but instead to uh, move forward. So I'm curious, Steve, uh, we, we share a lot of commonalities in our upbringing. Uh, why don't you just kind of give us more of a thumbnail of, of where you come from and, and, uh, and uh, why you're wanting to do this podcast. Oh, that's a uh, glad glad we allotted three hours for today's uh, recording. Wow. There's so much there. <laughs> he said, "Oh wow, um, yeah." Just similar, you know. And we, like you said, we we've discussed a little bit about our upbringings, but um, having having gone. Um, I don't want to say all in, but um, but you and I both have been uh, people that faith played a key part in our lives, uh, and and for me, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I know a specific time that I realized it. Um, I think, I think having a having a daughter where. Uh, where I started uh, subconsciously wondering what was the faith lens that I was going to provide for her um, as a dad and what would it look like? Because, yeah, so just background, um, my mom and and uh, stepdad who raised me both had um, middle school education, but... Um, but they came to faith later in life when I was a small child and, um, my mom especially had this radical transformation in, um, 
through this local church. And uh, she was a survivor of domestic abuse from a previous marriage, um, survivor of childhood abuse. And um, so for her, I mean, she, she really doubled down on, on Christianity. And, and again, it's something that you and I share, like, you know, the stories that you tell about your mom. Um, yeah, we, we do, you know, they both had really similar kind of upbringing. Yeah. And so, um, like mom was this like devout, like she would, she would take the children's Bible and copy questions from it and leave blanks. And then in the evening when I would get home from school, we would do Bible study and I would yeah. have to, to read from the children's Bible and then copy the answer down wherever the blanks were in the notebook. And she filled up, I think, three. I think when I was going through my childhood stuff not too long ago, she had filled up um, like two 500-page composition notebooks. I never knew that. That's fascinating. I, I'm, I mean, I, I love me some Juanita. She's. Uh, I mean, she was she, this stay-at-home mom, and that yeah. was... Um, she was like, she was so creative on how can I get, uh, scripture? How can I get, uh, the stories of the Bible? How can I get this into my kid? Um, and so it was, it was that it was rock music was not allowed in the home. Um, what about, were you allowed to listen to rock music? So for, no, of course not. In fact, uh, I had to hide my my Christian rock music when I was a teenager. I had to hide my mixtapes and the tapes that I had when an evangelist would come to town because uh, my mom would take it and they would listen to it. And, I don't know. It sounds like hell to me. So let's burn it. Yeah. And I'll never forget. I like, <laughs> I like this one group called One Bad Pig. I don't know if you Oh my them. gosh. Yeah. They were a bunch of youth pastors and they were not musically talented at all, which I think was one of the reasons I really liked them. Yeah. And uh, they did, they, 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 they sampled Gone with the Wind. Oh my gosh. One of their songs. And it started with, um, I don't know nothing about birth and no baby, Miss Scarlet, or something like that. And the evangelist went off on a diatribe on it, and it was just. But no, but of course we could listen to country music. Yeah, country country all was okay, day right? Long. George I have Jones no was idea okay. Why you could listen to all of it about drinking and and cheating and all the things, uh, but we could. Um, and there wasn't a there wasn't a clear there wasn't a clear explanation on what made the music bad. Was it the lyrics? Because then all of a sudden, if I started listening to Christian rock tapes, it was it had a devil beat. I mean, like literally, that was the the language that my mom would use was was devil beat. So, just a word of explanation for our our listeners. Um, Steve and I both come from from Pentecostal backgrounds, but we also come from what is known as the holiness tradition, um, which is a type and expression of Christianity. If you're not familiar with this, where there's a ton of boundary markers. So not getting too much into it. There's a guy named, um, 
Yoder or Niebuhr, I can't remember. Christ Against Culture is basically what our churches uh, said. The world is out there to to win you over, to seduce you, to ruin your life. There, there and is so, this constant uh, this constant battle going on. And, sacred versus secular, right? So that label, the yeah. of the either or, and unfortunately, you know, that led to uh, a really oppositional faith, not an incarnational faith at all, not a faith where Christ transforms culture, or Christ is in culture, or seeing beauty in all things, but instead it was very much us versus them, and the them or the scary uh, gays or the uh, Democrats. A- anything or the that whatever. anything that wasn't uh, so, like like really what we what you could boil it down to in, in in hindsight is it was anything that we didn't like. And when I yes. say we, that whoever the Christian right, whoever the Christian like, so. So, like, sitting here and going, okay, so my mom did these Bible studies, uh, rock music uh, wasn't allowed. Um, and Basically, then, a family Christian said it was okay. Yeah, but you didn't, like, in small town in, in uh, Dora and Taswell, you know, yeah. you didn't have family Christian. You had the fisherman's hey, net. I had the shepherd's place. Well, see, the fisherman's net and the shepherd's <laughs> place. And so, like, who's the, who's the expert... On this, uh, that, that's right. that's that's the authority on it, you know. James Dobson, and it was, it was the local, you know, it was usually a lay pastor, a lay person right. in the church uh, that your parents consulted with. Uh, so I so I go through this my all of what I can remember. Keila and you always talk about how I have uh, my my uh, capacity for memories. Uh, but I can, like, I have vivid details of, um, like I was, my sister who's nine years older rebelled. Like she, she was already a teenager when, when mom and dad came to know Christ. And so for her, uh, they, they couldn't, they couldn't uh, fence her in with it. And so for me, I never pushed back on it. I never, uh, like, I don't even know. I think rebellion probably looked like me uh, listening to the rock station in the car. Um, but, like, I didn't know rebellion was an option. Uh, and, and that's something else that you and I have in common. Like, we talk about our sisters rebelling. And, oh, yeah. and what we knew of rebellion was the pain that they inflicted on themselves uh, and the family, and the family, and so, uh, so yes, yeah, so I didn't know. I didn't know rebellion was was really an option, uh, but just going through life and um, and going, man, like, yeah, um, I, I think it was probably for for twenty plus years, and even even when we got to college. Um, there was it was um there was still a very much an us versus them element to our faith uh even even as we got older i think the one thing that relaxed was we started saying okay there's more grace to this than than what our parents uh experienced or believed but i mean it it was like um there was something about 
that version of faith that I'm just like the, I don't really have direction or explanation other than when I, when I try to sit and process it, um, just trying to wrap my brain around, um, how did the Christian message where, um, where Christ is asked, what's the most important commandment? And he says, uh, love your God, love your neighbor and love yourself and hang everything on this. Like, I just get perplexed when I think about uh, our upbringings and going, man, how, how did the message of Christ become uh, us versus them? Like, well, yeah. So from time to time, I'll probably just drop some book titles for you guys to check on these things. Uh, probably the best book written on this in the last 10 years is uh, if you wanted some insight into the type of insular faith that Steve and I are talking about that we were raised in is Jesus and John Wayne. Um, it was written a couple of years ago, and it really does an, uh, an apt job of describing our faith. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say that basically that message of us versus them is one that is mitigated by fear. Okay. Um, and it's mitigated by control, which is the religious impulse in all institutional religion. And so, when we when we're talking about this us versus them, we would never have thought about it that way. No, uh, I would describe my community of faith, and Steve would probably say the same that they were serious places of love. Absolutely, and you couldn't find people who were more zealous for God, probably to this day, you know, uh, if I wanted someone to pray for me, I'd probably call sister Betty or sister Mandy from right. the church because, but what happens is, um, the fear of what's out there, right? Right. The fear of what you can, you get converted from a way of life and you find some joy, you find some purpose and meaning you didn't have. And instead of being saved, some people would say saved from the world and then saved back to the world, that part never happens. Right. And you certainly don't want your children to reenact your mistakes before you converted and found peace and acceptance and belonging. And so you keep them you set up all these boundary markers, these religious markers that say, this is what's going to keep me and my family safe. It's going to keep us in the right way. And so part of it's fear and a lot of it's fear of the unknown. It's not mean spirited or mean hearted, but it is ignorance of what's out there and how to see God's, truth and goodness and beauty and all of those things. So um, the reason, and it's the, uh, there's no way to unravel our lives from our faith stories. That's not 
all that we're at and right as we go through these episodes and share our story you won't hear as much about all of these things but it is instrumental to who we are so we we've got a a friend a former employer uh dr mike rakes that you'll probably hear about sometime and he talked about these five streams of influence and so he talked about what shapes you and kind of gives you your purpose and meaning in life and your sense of belonging and identity is is your faith or your your what he called ancient wisdom so whether you're a christian a hindu buddhist or whether you're a secular atheist or an agnostic or a skeptic or it doesn't matter right there's these ancient kind of philosophies or meanings, um, makers, traditions that have been passed on to us. And we either accept them or we rebel against them or a combination. And then you have your family of origin and then you have uh, your peers and then you have culture at large and you have your education. And what I would say is, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but so much of this kind of insular faith that we're talking about means that all of those five streams are really predicated and built on. It all goes through that lens of that us versus them faith. Yeah. Yeah. That's... It determined who your friends were. It determined what kind of education you were allowed into your home. It determined all of those pieces. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean like, so I, I come home in fourth grade and my mom says, um, you're changing schools next year and, and being in a, being in a small town. Um, many schools did you have? That's what I'm saying is we didn't have more than one school. Uh, we had two elementary schools and North Taswell elementary, Taswell elementary. Um, it was zoned by where you live. Um, and so all of a sudden when I came home in fourth grade and she says, Hey, uh, we're going to go visit, uh, this Christian school, like the thought doesn't even go through my mind. Uh, and now it came up in therapy years later, but like the thought yeah. never went through my mind of, but nobody's asked me if I want to change schools. Like nobody has hey. said, do, Hey, let's go check this out and see what you think. It was, we go and we visit this place and, and it's, uh, Uber holiness in that, uh, the, you know, a guy's hair had to be cut a certain way. Girls had to wear skirts, no makeup, uh, no jewelry, yada, yada, yada. There were uniforms. Uh, these, this specific group of, of Christians didn't believe in owning a television. So you weren't allowed to talk about television. That was called the idiot box. And, mm -hmm. and so, but it was that, like, when you talk about insular, right? Yeah. Like, now I, I've gone from uh, already having that first layer of insulation, like we attend this church and when we attend, I'm talking, and this was, yeah. this was true for you, Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening worship. Um, Wait, choir practice. Choir before, practice at I some mean, point, right? Uh, Wednesday night, midweek, right? You lived in the church. And so then to hear, okay, well now you're going to go to this school. And I can remember, um, I had a friend, uh, I don't even know where he is. I try to check in whenever I'm. Is this Walter? Nope. This is um, 
this was a, a kid that I knew named um, Carl Davis. And uh, Carl was a big kid. Carl, was, in fourth grade, I think Carl weighed like a uh, 168. And his nickname was Scooby. And, <laughs> and I can remember Scooby finding me a couple of years after this. So this would have been in middle school. And he said, uh, Stevie, why, why did you leave us? Were, are you just too good? And he was asking this from a, from a legit heartfelt place. Stevie did, I don't know why Scooby called me Stevie, but he did. Um, why, are we just not good enough for you? And I remember going, oh my gosh, is that, is that what all of my friends think? Because the moment I started going to the Christian school, it wasn't like I dropped people. I got dropped. Like, oh, we, we, knew, <laughs> we knew that, uh, that Steve was, was a, a Jesus guy. But, man, he's really. And, and from that point on, and just going, man, like I, I didn't, like I knew that there was a goody-goodiness to it. Like a goody-goody two-shoes type thing associated with But I just didn't realize how much. Um, and so you go through that and then you, you, um, like then all of a sudden as you get into high school and, and Christian schools are always comical to me because, uh, 90% of the time, at least for me growing up, Christian school was where the hellions got sent. Uh, and so it was like, wait a minute, I'm and and mom's whole thing was, um, uh, you're being exposed to humanism. Now, I don't even know if mom knew the definition of the word humanism, but she dropped the word humanism. Mm. And when I would say, well, what is humanism? And she would be like, it's this belief that um, that man is basically uh, okay the way he is. And then somehow she would link it in with communism. I don't know how uh, the, the, the communist ties, of course, it was th- during the Cold War, uh, but I mean, she was, she had just taken <clears throat> these little bits of information, uh, yeah. you know, that she had heard and she felt, and I, and I wonder if somewhere in the back of her mind, if she wasn't thinking, I want him to become a preacher. I'm sure that was infused in there somewhere. Um, but, but yeah, that, that, um, like when I just think back to when you, when you mentioned the, the insular elements to Christianity, like we didn't realize, and, and what was it about us that was different than our friends who were Sunday only Christians? Like they would, they would say they were Christian, but then they partied and, and did their stuff on the weekends. Like it was that because of, you know, are you associating that? Like for you, does that tie? Well, our family had the holiness uh, layer on it, and that's why. Oh, that was part of it, but I think, I mean, at least for myself, I, I was, um, uh, I was what they call a true believer. Like, I truly believed it all. Like, yeah, absolutely. That, that was that was my piece, and it it infused every part of my life. No, I wasn't. Um, <laughs> I was the the thing about an insular and a boundary maker and a holiness type of faith is what it really does is it promotes uh secrecy <laughs> you know so in some way our our friends who called themselves christians and then lived the way that that they lived um 
you know, outside of those boundary markers, uh, they were being more authentic than we were in some ways, uh, you know. But I but mean, I can remember like when, you know, like there was really this thought, like this really existed. Not saying that, that the pastor of, of our church uh, taught it, but I'm saying this was a belief that if if somebody said, I'm a Christian, and you said, where do you go to church? And they said, First Baptist, First Methodist. You Like inside, the thought was, yeah, but they're not really saved. Right. I mean, because it was us versus them. Because... But I mean, even within the Christian subculture. No, I know. I mean, like even within it... this subculture, there was another subculture of, but— yeah, but you you don't speak in tongues. Uh, you right. we we had we had what was considered the full gospel. Yes, we and it was like and uh, Steve is this girl a Christian? This girl that you like? Well, yeah, she goes to the Presbyterian. Oh, you can't date her. Yeah, that's that's not going to work out. And and all of a sudden, then you had the lines. You know all the 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 uh, propaganda, whatever you want to call it. But um, throughout this whole journey, it wasn't until like it really wasn't until I, in probably my mid thirties that I just started becoming. Um, I wasn't disenfranchised, but I had I was seeing so much BS um, in in Christian leadership. Um, in political um, activities, uh, and then all of a sudden going, do I believe this enough to put this into another human's brain? You know, thinking about my kid, uh, thinking about Liv, and and all of a sudden it was like, yeah, I can't, I can't do this. Um, but I don't even like, I wasn't even conscious of that. But it was. My mom looking at me going, well, are you doing devotions with her? Are you doing, and, and I call it now, and looking back, I call it checking the boxes. And there was something right. about our faith uh, as kids and as young adults that faith wasn't faith. It was rule following. It was fear driven. It was performance driven. And I think everybody at some point in their life, whether it happens at 30, 40, 50, I think everyone encounters or will encounter moments where uh, you are going to, um, you're going to encounter a box that just can't be checked or that you just can't answer. Um, and, and you're confronted. Like there's this, whether it's an existential piece, whatever, like I think people encounter that, and I think I think that's who um, maybe those would be would be the people that I hope would find this podcast in these conversations to say, wait a minute, deep inside you've had this thought of there has to be something more than this either or us versus them uh, Christianity spirituality. Um, and, and I would hope that they would find this and discover yes, because when, when I had that moment of, you know, um, of, I can't do, I can't do, yeah, this moment of clarity, I can't do this anymore. I, I I just can't because checking the boxes has gotten me nowhere, but, but curled up in a fetal position. Um, I just can't do this. 
and at the same time I was working, um, I was working at, um, a performing arts conservatory and the teachings that, uh, that I had believed that I had subscribed to that I owned, uh, growing up in the church, they weren't, they, they didn't feel authentic anymore. Like right. it, it felt like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm peeling off the labels to these things and we, we don't live or really believe this thing because if we did, when we're confronted when, with these scriptures uh, or when, we, when we're confronted with these teachings of Christ, we, we don't double down on those. We double down on everything else around it that more closely looks like who we are or our preferences. You know, um, yeah. So let me let me um, let me stop you right there. I want to circle back to a couple of things. Um, uh, I think it's important for us to understand that our cultural situation and context influences our spirituality and our faiths in ways that we're not cognizant of. So. The faith we grew up in, this is what a solid Christian looked like, right? There was this kind of ideal, this is what a Christian teenager does, right? They're, they're, they dress the right way, they're courteous and polite, they don't drink or smoke or go with girls who do, they uh, read their Bibles daily, they, they attend church, all, all those, they lead see you at the poll uh, <laughs> kind of deal youth rallies at, at your public school. And that really stems from a industrialized view of the world where this is the widget. This is the, this is the product that we're trying to create. And here are the assembly line factors that go into making that piece. Okay. And so it's very, it's very perfunctory and we don't realize that in an industrialized America with assembly lines and, f- and factories, churches basically became those things. Mm. They became uh, makers of the ideal widget, the ideal Christian. And these are the things that you had to check off to get to those pieces. And so that's, that influences without us knowing it. And so, right now, so when you go back and you and you mentioned Rakes's uh, streams of influence, yeah, just to uh, because this this stuff like you've um like the the theories on all of this uh, that you're describing, you you've lived and breathed for so long now. But I I want to make sure that we don't rush past it for uh, yeah. for listeners. So what you're saying is, is that somewhere along uh, the early the early 20th century, uh, the American church uh, began to it couldn't help but be influenced by by society of what was going on, right? Like uh, right. the Ford assembly line, right? So all of a sudden, yes. Ford is making uh, the Galaxy 500 or the Ford Escort, and there is this assembly line. You get this piece here, you get this piece right. here, and there it becomes a very linear, um, uh, mechanized, roll it off the assembly line. And so, like when you when you describe uh, that 
who the ideal Christian teenager was. I can remember it, it, um, the stories of, um, like, I mean, if you really wanted to be the ultimate Christian teenager, uh, you went on a missions trip and maybe just maybe I'll be lucky enough to be a martyr on the mission field. Cause I mean, that, that would be the ultimate. And, and that later became, you know, you see the, you, you see the huge rise of that after, you know, when we were both doing youth ministry after Columbine. Right. And Columbine said, yes, when she said, and all of a sudden the books come out and the movie comes out and, and all of a sudden, DC DC talk puts out Jesus freaks where we talk about the martyrdom and, and the the red letters. And so martyrdom meant one thing in context of the church and what America does, because America is uh, a country where you have freedom of religion and you can practice that. Nobody's going to kill you for your faith in, in America, except in an extreme situation uh, like Columbine school shooting or something like that. But, but what does happen is we, we pretend that we're martyrs. Yes. Starbucks has a red cup and it's a holiday cup. And these folks say happy holiday instead of Merry Christmas. And all of a sudden you have this invention of persecution and martyrdom, which isn't happening all. And which is actually a slap in the face to the rest of the Christian uh, Christianity around the globe where there is martyrdom happening. But there, there but, I is mean, this we, piece we even, where we even I, believe I, that before, where there was a devil behind every bush. I mean, the way bush, that animism, mental health yeah. got demonized, right? Like, well, I mean, this yes, is what Christianity does. And so, you're 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 right. And and what happens is, um, your martyrdom is not losing your life. Your martyrdom is your social setting and your popularity. Your martyrdom as a teen or a young person is, oh, blessed are, you know, are they when they persecute you for my namesake is what Christ said. I don't think he was talking about the fact that you you can't be popular in your high school, that you have to be, like you said, are you too good for us? Did you leave us? Those kind of pieces. But yeah, so culture shapes us in ways we don't understand, and and, and culture shaping us now in ways that we don't understand, whether it's postmodern or metamodern or whatever the hell you want to call it. But I want to I want to get back to this point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right? Because because you and I, and this is what I used to tell my ministry students, <clears throat> you and I were on the assembly line. Yes. And you and I were on track to be the ideal Christians in our denomination and in our setting. I mean, we were poised. We were groomed. And groomed and were on the way up in the organizations and in the, uh, in, in, in the religious machinery of our denomination. But we both took ourselves off of that conveyor belt. Yes. And so what happens, I think, in all of our lives is that there are moments, you can call them clarion calls, you can talk about 
moments of clarity or you can talk about uh, awareness, right? It happens. We have to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear it and to respond to it. But I want, I want, to, I want to hear a couple of things because of all of the clarion calls that I've witnessed in your life, uh, having live yeah. shook you, not, not just in your faith, but in, in the way you thought about your career, your education, you, there was another level of intentionality that happened with you when live came into the world. And I think maybe that's because you were older when you yeah. had her. And I think it may be because you had thought, uh, this might not be a possibility for you. And, right. and, and, and there was, uh, against all odds, um, you know, y'all were able to have her and those Collins. kind of pieces. Yes. So all those pieces, but what were a couple of the clarion calls or those moments of clarity awareness before live? Hmm. I, I, I can remember sitting in a dorm room first week at Southeastern. It was uh, Derek Mull's room. Okay. He and he and Ben. Big Ben from West Virginia, yep. football guy. I'm looking around the room, and there's Walt, and who's pastor's kid from South Carolina. There's Derek Mull, who's going to be a pastor. There's Ben, same kind of thing. He gave up the scholarship, I think, West Virginia to play football to come be a pastor. There's Jesse, whose dad's a pastor in Pittsburgh. And we're sitting around the room playing darts talking and listening to a bootleg copy that Walt had, because he was from South Carolina, of Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, wow. This is before Hootie even put out a, a, yeah. an actual album. This yeah. is a bootleg copy from a club. I don't know how Walt got it. I'm not going to call him out. Yeah. Um, but I can rem I actually remember looking around the room while everybody's talking and playing darts and listening to this. Uh, hold my hand was the song that's awesome and i thought jesse wants to go to the mission field i'll say Eric that again you, you cut there just for a second who was all going? of these guys love jesus with their whole heart right i'm listening to this damn song there's nothing wrong with this song it's not a christian song it could be a christian song it could be jesus just as well as it could be a, a girl or a guy yeah and in that moment, there was this kind of clarion call that maybe this sacred secular thing is false. This dichotomy, this division, I got to open my eyes to some different things. Hmm. And I remember that. And you and I have had many, many opportunities to respond to what we would call the prompting or the leading of the spirit, the animating force, the creator, whatever. Um, and we heard it and we responded. So I, I, yeah. I, I know we're probably getting close to time. Well, I think, but I, I would, did want to hear a couple of, yeah. a couple of things where it was like, wait, what, what, what shook me in this? Point? Yeah, it's good. I think uh, one one that comes to mind in the sense of it was a it was a disrupting moment um and and i remember um there had never been in my faith 
um, room to ask questions, like through my okay. through my uh, growth, uh, growing up as a kid and being a teenager, like questions. Um, I think somewhere in my mind, questions represented uh, the doubt. lack of faith or doubt, right, or disrespect. And so I never asked questions. And I can remember sitting uh, it, it, in college and talking with uh, Monty Fields. And Monty oh, Fields Monty. says, Monty was an upperclassman um, uh, whose, whose room I'd gotten assigned to because I was a transfer student. And uh, Monty said something to, to the effect, somehow abortion came up. And Monty said, so you know where you stand on abortion? And I was like, yeah, it's always wrong. 100% of the time, it's always wrong. Um, and so he begins to push on, well, what about in this situation? What about in this situation? What about the doctor comes in and, um, and they say they have to make a decision right now. Uh, it's your wife. And I'm like, well, I pray. And he goes, yeah, but you got to give an answer. And, and what he was doing was he wasn't, he wasn't, um, he wasn't trying to be a prick, but in that moment, all of a sudden, because I, I knew Monty's heart, um, like he was just this genuine down to earth guy. He was a, um, he was an education major. And all of a sudden for the first time, um, in, in my adult thinking, i there was this thought of, man, everything's not so concrete. Everything's not so black and white. There, right. there could be more to this. Um, and I just remember because I think up until that point, um, I always thought that I had the right answers, but mm-hmm. not, not again, not being an arrogant prick. I didn't realize it sounded like an arrogant prick, but it is anytime you think you have the right answers. But I think it was, uh, being this people pleaser because I was that straight yeah. A student in school. Um, don't miss curfew, yada, yada, yada. And so, uh, man, if I get this right, and if all of a sudden, if I don't know the answer, then something's wrong with me, and why don't you know the answer, or why don't you know the right answer? There's the bigger piece. But uh, Monty saying that uh, was definitely, um, was definitely one of those, one of those first. Uh, The biggest one was, um, Monty had just come from Frank Machia's yes. Christian ethics class where we were reading 20 Hot Potatoes for Christians by Tony Campolo. By Tony Campolo, yeah. That's what he was yeah, doing. That's yeah, that's exactly it. And uh, and I can remember bringing that book in and going, this guy is an idiot, you know, going back oh. to our, our earlier episodes. And uh, and that's when, I think, I think that's actually, I was reading 20 Hot Potatoes for Hackett's uh, ethics class and I'm just going off about having to read this. And and Monty was like, well, wait a minute. Let's talk about this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, uh, yeah. Remember the example in the book where, that where uh, Tony goes where off the on the kid with the magnifying, magnifying glass with the, the ants? ants. <laughs> I know. Uh, I, that one sticks out. Oh. So he said they were possessed by the the enemy yes. of our soul or Satan because yeah. they were using magnifying because they glass were to burn up ants. Burn up an ant. And I was like, who anyway. is this idiot? But anyway, um, but the, I think the biggest one uh, for me, there's something about hitting what feels like uh, midlife. Maybe that's why they call it a midlife crisis. But there's something about hitting midlife and going, wait a minute. I really thought that um, I really thought that this would turn out different in the sense of 
um, that if I just got it right enough, if I just got enough of the answers right, that that life, uh, that pain and suffering and everything would be minimized or go away. And um, and there's something about hitting um, those early 40s where um, Keela and I, and I've shared this on on um, in other settings, but this one this one is a is a was a huge one for me. Um, we were we were uh, making a last minute trip to the beach in North Carolina, and this would have been, gosh, um, this would have been around 2016 or so, 17, and um, I had a Jeep Wrangler. Keila had her car, her SUV, and um, and I was wanting to take the Jeep. Keila was wanting to take her car, and I said, look. If you have a Jeep and you're going to the beach, let's just take the Jeep. It'll be fun. We'll take the top off, yada, yada, yada. And um, and I had loaded up all of our uh, beach stuff in the back of my car. And at the last minute, we took Keela's car. And when we arrived at the beach, uh, I opened the back of her car, and, and none of our beach stuff is in there. Mm-hmm. And I lose it. I mean, like, I, I just, I can't stop. And, and I just, I, I am just going off. And so Keela's like, forget you, Liv and I are going on to the beach and they walk on down and I just can't stop talking. Like I just can't stop yelling as I'm standing there at the car. And, uh, while I forgot everything, I didn't forget a journal. Uh, and, and I had a journal with me and I walk on down to the beach and I'm sitting in the sand sulking. And I take three pages, I remember specifically filling up three pages of this journal, just cussing God out. You mm-hmm. what kind of creator? Uh, I did everything that you asked as a kid. Uh, I, I missed Little League championships. I did this. All these things that I had been told, well, God's pleased with you when you miss your Little League championship and go to Royal Ranger powwow instead, right? Uh, and so, which is Christian Boy Scouts, which is know. Christian. <laughs> we need like a glossary. Uh, I know, uh, I know. Here's words that were mentioned in this episode. Um, yeah. And sitting there and having that melt, like just this internal uh, uh, meltdown, and and just going, I'm done with this. Like this, this whole thing. Uh, you know what? I'm. It's not for me. I'm done. Uh, what kind of God would do this? What kind of Father? And then all of a sudden, uh, this this version of uh, all of a sudden, I can just feel God on the beach, mm. and it I, I equate it to you go from thinking what's everything that you've ever had contrived in your mind about God, uh, all the characteristics, and and in this moment, uh, the version of God that showed up was the dude from the Big Lebowski. Love it. And he's just he's like, oh, so are you done now? Because mm-hmm. now we can talk. And I'm like, what do you mean now we can talk? Like 40 years of me punching out these things for you, going to Christian school, doing this, going into ministry, doing this, that. Uh, and it, you know, maybe, maybe it was, uh, I wasn't on any uh, uh, psych meds that day, but uh, I, like I, I think back to that moment going, oh my gosh, I don't know, I don't know which version of God this is. Like, None of this was ever in, in any of the uh, theolo- intro to theology, theology one, two, three, and four. This version I never saw, 
Uh, but if there's if there's something to this one, and you'll show it to me, then I've got to be a part of that. But otherwise, I've got like I'm out. Like this is yeah. done uh, because I I I didn't want to set live up for for uh, for for one of those moments in her life. And you know we try not to screw up uh, our kids, but then we screw them up by not screwing them up. So anyway, but that that was a moment um, where that happened. And my starting point, my leap off point from there was simply, um, I don't know what I believe anymore. Like I'm putting it all back on the shelf and I'm going to start with the one thing I I knew one thing that I believed. And that was, I felt that Christ was, or is the physical manifestation of the, of the creator of this higher being. And, and my faith, got overly simplified and um and that's like you were you were going through your stuff at southeastern at the time this was going on in my life and like you at the time like you were going through stuff and being labeled you know people were were starting to refer to you as is matt losing it is is uh is he lost it is he a heretic is he a universalist all the labels that they put on you um meanwhile i'm sitting in North Carolina at the time going through that. Um, and, and so it was like we were having these, these moments, these clarifying moments, uh, 800 miles apart, but happening simultaneously, but related on different fronts and different topics. Well, mine was pretty public because of where I was at the time. Um, and would, would you say that like, what was the moment like you referenced earlier, and this stuck with me, when you say that we removed ourselves from the assembly line. Right. We got off the conveyor belt. We got off the conveyor belt. Um, I think, for me, getting the offer to go back to Southeastern uh, and you being there and, and us, you helping talk me through that was a moment of, of like, a, a re-entry moment to get back on the conveyor belt. and. Right and say no to it for you was, was leaving Southeastern your jumping off of the conveyor belt. What was, I mean, that was a, that was the, that was the biggest plot rewrite, but I've had series of those my entire life. Yeah. Like you have, uh, as well. Um, and, and everybody has these moments they don't all respond. But they them. don't all respond. And that's, I think that, well, that needs to be said is, look, we're not, like, I think sometimes it's easy to listen to a conversation like this and go, yeah, I've never had those. No, you do have these moments. The question is, yeah. is what did you do? How did you respond? Did you ignore it? Yeah. Did you, you know? So the, the Christian buzzword for this right now is deconstruction. Right? Yeah. And that comes from a lot of different places. And uh, uh, so if, if we can, if we can kind of end on this and, and just kind of put a bookmark in it, because uh, I, I don't know how long we've been, but I know we've been going for a while. There is um, one of my new favorite authors who's passed away and I found him late in life, uh, wrote a book. 
uh, and I always get his name wrong. It's Gray Temple or Cannon Gray or something. Anyway, he was a Pentecostal Anglican priest, but uh, he wrote a book called The Molten Soul. Uh, and basically he says, and I think the subtitle is The Opportunities and the Dangers of Conversion. And the idea with that is that we respond some point to that clarion moment or that call, uh, that awareness, that inbreaking of God into our daily lives. And we respond and we call that a conversion moment. And that's somebody walking up to the front of a church or that's your mom, you know, uh, leaving one way of life for another way for Christianity or all these kind of pieces. The danger is that we convert once and then we think we're done. Wow. So life, he says, is supposed to be a continual conversion. And that's when your soul has to stay molten. It has to stay uh, liquid. It has to, because what happens is if you have this conversion moment to from one way of life to another way of life or from one group to another group or one classification to another classification, you think you've arrived, that's it. Then you stop responding to the direction of love. And love will always continually convert you into different versions of yourself into what Maslow would call um, actualization, you know. And so I think people have a conversion moment. They listen to this inbreaking. They respond and make some kind of life change or transformation. But then they think that's it. And I think what, what you and I and others that we admire and model ourselves after and seek to emulate is we try to keep our souls molten and keep responding because you're going to keep having opportunities to get back on the conveyor belt, Mm. to put it into cruise control, to just phone it in autopilot. Yeah. Yeah. Phone it in. And that's not what life is about. Life is about continually responding to the proper stimuli and in our understanding that would be the creator that would be um, love the unifying force ground of being jesus whatever you want to call it but uh, you've got to keep responding and and what happens is you, there's a dismantling of the ego project and of certainty and of uh, i've got to be right and of control and that's scary and that's fearful, especially if you're a spouse or if you have a little one or those kind of pieces. So a lot of people have a kid and they're like, okay, I've got to stay on the assembly line. I've got to keep moving up the ranks. I've got to make sure that there's stability and that there's comfort and security 
And what I've seen you do, especially with Liv, is the opposite of that. And it's hard as hell. Of course it is. That's that's the conversations <laughs> we have where you're like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and and but what what I see you doing is is saying I don't want Liv to have an inauthentic life. Mm. Uh, they're 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 secure there's the illusion of security um but what i see you doing and and keila i'm I'm so impressed with the way you guys parent and you're not you're not perfect but um your wife is incredibly intentional and thoughtful and you know nicole and i aren't going to have kids but if we did we'd want to do it the way y'all do it and that is we want to let her know that this is one wild life and that there is no cookie cutter. There is no assembly line way to do this thing. We want you to be true to yourself. We want you to be true to love, whatever that means. And that means risking um, for the greater love. Anyway, and that's one of the things that I really, really appreciate about you, Steve. And um, I hope that our our friends who listen to this hear that and understand that, that there is a toll. There is a, there is a burden. There is scars when you, when you listen to life's beckoning for you to do something different and to be authentic um but it's really the only life worth living it's good i I appreciate the you're always um kind words of support especially uh parenting because watching so many people who are trying to navigate raising a kid in the middle of a pandemic and and what spirituality looks like for them the the human thing is to want to find the template, right? And right. because then at least I feel like I, I have some sense of where this thing is going. And I think of um, the intentionality, you know, when, when I can remember early in your, well, even, even over the past 10 years where uh, whenever something would happen on social media where somebody would make a post on your page or something, the phone calls would come to me, right? Like, hey, is yeah. is Matt lost it? Is is this? Uh, wh- wh- is Matt is Matt still a Christian? And um, and and those thoughts and questions that it's almost as if people um, who who haven't uh, answered those uh, those clarifying moments or or who. Um, whatever the language that you you would use there maybe they're not in denial but maybe uh maybe they're fearful uh the unknown that piece right i i just want i want to to make sure that people know that you are fully aware that Matt Hewitt is fully aware um and he is engaged and he is mindful of um this um this life that you're that you continue answering uh, the call to to go deeper uh, and wider 
uh, gosh, there it goes. I knew I would work in a, a Sunday school song. Deep, deep and, and wide, deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. I'm not. Will we have to give usage rights on that? I don't know. Um, but probably. yeah, and so it's, I think that's probably general. Domain. It should be, uh, public yeah, public domain, domain at this now. point. Uh, but there, you have been so intentional about that, and to think anything other than this about you um, when people ask that uh, hurts hurts my heart because um, because you you have continued down this path with that intention with that in, with that sincerity um and that that takes courage and as you do it um and again you and I you you said this last week um while we don't see eye to eye on everything that's okay that makes us better people for each other mm-hmm. um but but I I love and appreciate your courage uh, to continue uh, going down this road and not phone it in because we know so many people that for they all have their own reasons, but phoning it in became um, their safety from the from the elements and so that's that's where they've locked away. but yeah, thank you for the uh, for the encouragement and for modeling what it means to to live that authentic um, and and constantly um, expanding uh, faith because otherwise feels static, dying. Yeah, you know. So let's uh, let's just uh, wrap up. Uh, just want to encourage you guys: find a friend, uh, keep them close, and uh, do life with with someone or some people uh, in a way that uh, continually shapes and forms you. So if you're a bear, find your whistle pig. If you're a whistle, if you're a whistle pig, pig, find your bear. Find your bear. 